Do you remember um, the movie Whale Rider? Vaguely. I don't remember much about it except so it's they're Maori and so she has this really really thick New Zealand accent, of course. And I just remember there's a scene where she kicks a door and goes, "I'm big." <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "That's so cute." She's also like a whale rider, so she was awesome. Hello, and welcome to Where the People Aren't. I'm Jesse, And I'm Allie. And today we're talking about the sword and the stone. I did not remember this movie at all. I remembered a little bit of it, but it definitely jarred some bizarre memories for me. All right, picture it. Picturing. It's 1963. The biggest hit of the year was Surf in USA by the Beach Boys. The beach-focused, semi-sexist band everyone can agree on. our second Beach Boys note from this series or from our podcast. Oh, that's true. I mean, I don't it was mind the, the navigator. I don't, I don't mind the Beach Boys. George Wallace is sworn in as governor of Alabama. He's super, super racist, and he's later shot and paralyzed from the waist down. I'm not saying it was karma. Oh, what a what but a it prob- shame! It probably was. Betty Friedan's *The Feminine Mystique* is published. It's generally considered to be one of the founding books of second wave feminism. Indigenous Australians are legally allowed to consume alcohol in New South Wales. Wait, before this they weren't? So America has a bad history with our native population, but Australia is also pretty amazingly shit-tastic. Yeah, it, apparently it was illegal before 1963. We don't deserve to be a species anymore. No, we really don't. We should just get wiped out. Sounds it's just about time. white. Uh, John Kennedy gives his well-intentioned Ike Dean and Berliner speech. Ich right. bin. Whatever. Sorry that I'm not a German geek. Ich bin ein Berliner. In West Berlin, he's mocked. I said he's mocked because everyone is a fucking linguistics expert. <laughs> he is He is assassinated a few months later. Unrelated, I'm sure. Zip codes are introduced. What? Yeah. That didn't happen until 1963? 1963. Indigenous people couldn't drink and zip codes didn't exist. Huh. What's really annoying about zip codes is the East Coast has a bunch of zip codes that start with zero. Mm. And like for my job, when you just like type that in, a lot of fields don't leave that zero in there. And then they all fail to print labels because the zip code doesn't pass. That's a neat little tidbit about zip codes. Come on, 1963. Couldn't you have started zip codes at like one yeah, zero, that would zero, been, zero? That would have been better. Yeah, like that would have made it a lot easier for my job. Fuck you, 1963. Dr. Reverend Martin Luther King gives his best-known speech, I Have a Dream, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. He wrote lots of speeches. You should look some of the other ones up. The first episode of Doctor Who airs. Oh, yay! It's not not very good. It's not. It's really not. I don't like the first series. It was too much. It leads to better things. It leads to David Tennant. You gotta stick with it, though. And on Christmas Day, 1963... Walt Disney's 18th animated feature film, The Sword and the Stone, is released. Christmas Day is a weird release date, I feel like, for that time period. Yeah, but they didn't care. They had zip codes. There were no rules anymore. (laughs) They finally had zip codes. Everything was new and exciting. The Sword and the Stone, directed by Wolfgang Reitherman, who we have talked about before. He directed Robin Hood. Mm -hmm. And it was written by Bill Peet. The music was, the instrumental music was done by George Bruns, who Mm -hmm. also did Robin Hood. And the song for the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. So we keep talking about these two just all over the place. Yes. The musical numbers were written by the Sherman Brothers, who went on to do films like Mary Poppins and The Jungle Book for Disney. As an orphaned child, Arthur, who was then known as Wart, wants to help his foster brother Kay succeed in becoming a knight. While helping Kay train, Wart stumbles upon a cabin belonging to Merlin, a bumbling but talented wizard. Merlin does his best to convince the boy that he is bound for greatness, and when Wart and Kay travel to London to attend a jousting contest, they learn that Merlin was right. There's so much more to the story. Is there... I mean, I'm kind of... I mean, I don't know. It's it's a weird movie to like make a synopsis of anyway, because uh, it was released December 25th, 1963, and then it was re-released in 1983 as a double feature with Winnie the Pooh and A Day for Eeyore. 
Another one of those weird re-releases that they used to do. Yeah. It had a budget of $3 million and a box office of $22.2 million. Pretty good. Yeah. I mean, they they did well. It has a 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, a 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, and the Google super scientific (laughs) survey of yes or no gave it 91%. Wow. That's not bad. No. But that's science for you. That's science for you. It had a nomination for the best score for an adaptation or treatment at the Academy Awards. And in 2008, the American Film Institute nominated The Sword in the Stone for its top 10 animated films list. Hmm. It did not reach the top 10. Oh, but it was an honor just to be nominated. Origin story? Origin story. So, Tell us where this movie came from, Allie. <sighs> okay. The Sword in the Stone is based on the novel of the same name by T.H. White, published in 1938. An adaptation of, I looked this up, Le Mort d'Arthur, is how it's pronounced, by Thomas Mallory. Isn't the Sword like Le Mort D'Arthur or something? Darth, it was actually D'Arthur. It was a lady with an English accent, so I assume she knew what she was talking about. The Sword in the Stone was initially meant to be a standalone book, but the story was later expanded into a tetralogy? It's a four-parter. I think it's pronounced tetralogy, but I didn't bother to look it up. Called The Once and Future King. The Sword in the Stone focused on Arthur's childhood, which was not a part of Mallory's work. According to Wikipedia, my favorite source, White's portrayal of Arthur was not particularly aligned with how he had been represented in the past. The page for The Once and Future King complains that Arthur is portrayed as an Anglo-Norman rather than a Briton, which, like, what kind of, what kind of fucking idiot do you have to be to make that mistake? I mean, seriously. Connor's complaint when we watch this is that Arthur was supposed to be Welsh. Connor can join this Wikipedia writer in the in the pit of hell. Maybe it was Connor. Fucking, well, he's just like finding out what movies we're gonna do, and then he sabotaged the Wikipedia pages. <laughs> I haven't read the book or any of the tetralogy, so I relied a lot on the Wikipedia page and Connor apparently, and it seems like it was kind of all over the place. So Arthur is the wart, an orphan being raised by Sir Ector in the castle Savage surrounded by forest savage ward is being trained as a knight alongside Hector's son Kay. but due to his common birth and terrible nickname ward will only ever be able to rise to the title of squire for Kay. so i guess he was being trained in with regular knight stuff even though he could never be a knight which seems shitty i think knight was kind of just a title they all did the same shit in the end yeah right one day while chasing a falcon that escaped during falcon practice Wart gets lost in Forest Savage and gets hit by an arrow shot by an unseen arrow shooter thing. He's found by King Pelinor, who is hunting the questing beast. So, so far, this sounds like a D&D campaign. It sure does. Like an okay D&D camp? No, it's like, it's, it's like, okay. It's like middle school. That's fine. Wart then meets Merlin. You know, it's a serious Merlin because his name has a Y in it, not an I. Legit. That makes up for the whole Welsh thing. There's not enough consonants for it to be Welsh. <laughs> That's true. Merlin doesn't adhere to the space-time continuum, and so he keeps like seeing visions from the future, or he lived in the future. I'm not really sure. Merlin becomes the boy's tutor, and at some point like introduces them to Robin Hood and Maid Marian. Huh. Yeah, I should read this book, or maybe I not. Did, I did read it, but it was years ago, and I don't yeah. remember most of it. Do you remember that? No. I kind of remember the fish thing, but I could be making it up. While hanging out with the Merry Men, Wart slays a griffin and takes its head. Oh, that seems unnecessary. And then there's just some shit about Merlin turning Wart into different animals for, like, reasons. I don't know. So Kay is ready to be knighted, and he's completed all of his training. He's in, I think, London at, I guess, this tournament, getting ready to go be a fancy man, and he realizes that he left his sword back at home, which, for whatever reason, he can't get home. So he finds a sword that's stuck in an anvil, which is where you always find swords in a that's churchyard. The only place to look for swords, Allie. It's where you stick them when you need some where to stick them. <laughs> Wart tries to remove the sword. I don't know why Wart is trying to remove it and Kay isn't. Well, because Kay can't do shit for himself. Please. I guess that's what not. the squire's for. So Wart tries to remove the sword and he does it in three tugs. Kay. This part got real foggy. Kay apparently knows that this sword is the one that determines who the true leader of England is and tells Wart as much. And he's like, dude, you're like the king. So Wart is crowned king. He's like 12. 
And Merlin is all, yeah, so your dad was Uther Pendragon, king of England, and you're his son, and your name is Arthur. And Mort was like, what the fuck? Like, you couldn't (laughs) have told me. Like, this dude sees in the future. He certainly knew. So that's the first book. I don't know what the next three are. I would imagine that they're just like different versions of a retelling of um right like continuing the, the story of Arthur the Arthurian legend, which I really don't know t- honestly too much about the legend of King Arthur. So I, I mean don't... only just like in the everything the things everyone knows about Arthur and the Holy Grail. Everyone and knows the... Monty Python and the Holy everyone Grail. Everyone knows Monty Python and the Holy Grail. That's my canon. I feel like they must have. Fo- I mean, they follow the book pretty similarly. So what did you think of it? I thought it was really weird. I Agreed. am not very familiar with the Arthurian legend. I've always liked it kind of in a, I guess, a theoretical way. I like, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy some aspects of like high epic fantasy. I like that it is a legend that's been around for so long. There are lots of things about it that I do like. I was kind of hoping that this would be a little bit, not serious, but a little bit more in line with what I've always understood the Arthurian legend to be. Yeah. And it definitely was not. It is a very weird, random, kid-focused, bizarre comedy. It feels like dumbed-down Arthurian legend for kids. Very much so. Yes. And yeah, I I just, my note at the end of watching it was, what was this? Yeah. Because I don't feel like it had a coherent plot. I don't feel like there was any actual conflict. Yeah, that's true. There wasn't just, really much of an act. I mean, to. it was just like a bunch of random scenes thrown together, and then they plopped the Disney name on it and called it a day. Yeah. It felt very choppy and yeah. sloppy. Choppy and sloppy. Choppy and sloppy. So I would give it... We rated it at the end. Get your shit together. Sorry. I don't think I watched this one when I was a kid. I think the only thing I actually saw were the bits that were in the Disney sing along with Jiminy Cricket and the bouncing ball. Yes. I don't I don't think I watched this. I'm sure I, I did, but I don't remember anything about it. It's not memorable at all, which is why no one ever remembers it exists. But it had those pretty high ratings. Yeah. If you want to go with Google. I suppose if Google Google says yes. Of course, I don't know how many people actually did that, so maybe it was like it right, it was three people. Yeah. They were all trolls. So this was the last Walt Disney production actually produced by Walt Disney before his death in 1966. That's right. The Jungle Book was being produced while he died, correct? I believe so. I think that was the last one that he worked on, technically. They were in the middle of it. So they acquired the rights to it the year after it was published in 1939. Yeah, Disney like jumped on it as soon as it came out, basically. I read one note that said that Disney basically had this in like pre-production stuff for like development all the way up through until the 60s when this actually came out. It got derailed by the war in the 40s when Disney was just making wartime cartoons and then it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed but Disney seemed to be super excited about it the whole time so I don't know why it took so long for it to happen. Yeah, but... How excited could it be but it took like 25 years for it to be adapted? Yeah. When The Sword and Stone was in development, Roy O. Disney, tried his brother, tried to convince Walt to discontinue the feature film animated division and just keep re-releasing older films, what which is such older, a... Older films. By that point, Cinderella was out and some oh, other movies right. were out and just re-releasing those back into theaters, and which is such a businessman decision to try to make. Seriously, Walt refused, but he did agree to just one film every four years. Was Roy then more like the the businessman side? Yeah, of it, he you was think? the business side of okay. Disney stuff. Walt was the creative side. Can you imagine Disney putting out one movie every four years? Sure can't. How many? I mean, how many movies do they put out every year? At least a couple. At least a few movies. At least a few. Although they're, I know they're pushing stuff back right now because yeah, Onward had just had its like it was in theaters for I think one week. Yeah, they put that one right onto Disney Plus. They had it on on demand for a week, and it was on Disney Plus, which yeah. I liked. I liked it. Will didn't. Like I want to watch it. It looks super cute. I liked it a lot. Will did not like. It. He said it was way too cerebral for like a kids' movie. He needs to make up his fucking mind. Do I, are things <laughs> cerebral or are they condescending to children? Make up I, your mind, Will. I will say, and this isn't spoiling anything. If you close your eyes while you're listening to it, even if you open your eyes, you will think that Chris Pratt's pe- character is being played by jack black really it's very weird huh anyway why don't you go ahead with this so this this is a big one that i wrote and i mm-hmm. have so much to say about this and then we're <laughs> going to talk about robin hood some more yes 
So this film was in development after 101 Dalmatians came out, which, side note, we need to do that movie because I fucking love that movie. I haven't seen that in probably over 20 years. That was one of the ones we watched all the time when we were kids. So this film was in development after 101 Dalmatians, along with a movie called Chanticleer. A number of folks, along with Reitherman and Mitt Call, were developing the film Chanticleer, which, as far as I can tell, is based on a play that was written in the early 1900s that's all farm animals. Uh, Rockadoodle. Rockadoodle is based on it, yes. Chanticleer. Should do that one, even though it isn't Disney. It's not Disney at all. grew up on Rockadoodle. Fun fact and throwback to our second episode, Chanticleer is also the name of the rooster in the Renard the Fox stories that Robin Hood is based on. Oh my god! So Reitherman I didn't would... understand what any of that was about when I wrote about it. I know. Reitherman would go on to direct Robin Hood 10 years after Sword in the Stone. Walt shot down Chanticleer on the basis that you can't make a roast rooster a protagonist as you don't feel like picking up a rooster and petting it. Which That's seems like a you think. really weird metric. It is what a weird thing to think because I have a friend who raises chickens and she cuddles them all the time. Roosters can be dicks. They can. But yeah, chickens like to cuddle. Yeah. For sure. Uh, at the same time, Bill Pete was working on development of the story of Sword in the Stone all on his own. And when it was picked over Chanticleer, apparently Mitt Call and Reitherman thought that Bill Pete was being a dick about making a story. Okay. Which is like, okay, nobody wanted your chicken story. Chill and just do this other <laughs> one. You know who, uh, who would have loved this? Super Chicken. Super Chicken! Never I started making it. a list of all of the different podcasts that we say we're going to do. After Bill Pete's first draft, Walt told him the script needed more substance. I have trouble understanding how this movie could have less substance. This one? Yeah. Like, if this is the script with more substance, what was the first script like? I don't know what they had to beef it up for sure. I mean, if this is the beefed up version, though, God. I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to see the director's cut of this, though. (laughs) I want to see your vision, Wolfgang. Wolfgang Retherman, tell us what your heart says. I believe that Wolfgang Retherman was also one of the nine old men. Yes, he was. Who was, I didn't know about this until I started researching for this movie, were the original directors and animators that yes. Disney hired. So they were around for, they worked for Disney for like 50 plus years. Yeah. And so I think we have a note somewhere. So this is like the first movie where they had a single director. Okay. Yes, and that's right. Retherman would go on to direct like everything up through the 80s. Yeah. Or like into the 80s. So we're going to hear him and his name a lot more. Yeah, that's jumping ahead. But I, I think I made that note too. This was the first solo director of an animated, of a Disney animated film. Up until then, it had been a collaborative effort between different producers and animators. So this, that's really, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think, and I, you know, I'm kind of surprised that they managed to pull off like a group direction sort of thing. Because I feel like for so really long. At least, like, one or two people who are, like, the final call on things. Right. Because when you have too many people, it's too many cooks in the kitchen. It just gets messy. I bet there are a bunch of fist fights. Probably. They sound like the kind of guys who would have a bunch of fist fights. And then they'd all cry afterwards. Maybe. Bill Pete said he based some of Merlin's characteristics on Walt Disney and also claims to have modeled his nose after Disney. I looked at pictures and I'm not sure that I see it, but... He might have just been trying to flatter his boss. He does sound kind of like a kiss ass. A little bit. That's funny. So I found an interview with Floyd Norman, who was an assistant animator on this film. He mm-hmm. worked with Mitt Call. And one of the things that I saw in this interview that I thought was kind of eh, kind of gross, actually, was that <laughs> apparently when Mim does her transformation and makes herself look beautiful or mm-hmm. whatever, she bears a striking resemblance to layout artist Sylvia Romer. Sylvia Romer is... must have had a very tiny waist indeed. Yes. I tried to find a picture of her and it's really hard to like find pictures of some of these women in Disney because, you know, misogyny. But yeah, so congratulations. Kind of surprised they even had a woman layout artist in the Well, a lot of the coloring was done by women. Like Mm. the coloring of sketching of the sketches in the films, like for the animation. So the women had to finish the men's job. Always. Yeah. That tracks, doesn't it? True to life. It tracks real hard. It didn't have awesome reviews. It was released to pretty mixed reviews, but it was a pretty big box office success. So critics can suck it. Well, I mean, I'm no, wondering I what I wonder what they were expecting, or like what how animated films were judged. Maybe they were judged way more harshly back then. Like they Maybe, expected yeah. more. Maybe it was a bunch of Arthurian enthusiasts. That's hard to say. Arthurian, Arthurian, Arthur. See. <laughs> 
<laughs> I wonder how prevalent the Arthurian legends were. Like, I feel like now, like, we have had so many Camelot movies and Arthur movies and yeah things. And, and like, for me, I just think I always have, I've always had some of that Arthurian legend stuff. But I wonder if it was as common, like, in the 60s. So if people just didn't have as much to, like, base it on. So like, oh, it's this funny, goofy story. So I know that Thomas Mallory's book was released was really it was published in like the like late 1400s i don't know if that was required reading in like high schools yeah i don't know but even if it was that doesn't mean it's gonna stick that just might be something that you had to read i can't i want to say that there was a bit of a resurgence when the mist of avalon was published but i could just be totally making that up when was that published that was published in the 80s okay and i it was one i always meant to read but didn't you turn out to be a horrible person yeah the the author I don't want to trigger anyone. The author was, ex- her and her husband were extremely abusive to their children Ugh, gross. in ways that made, yeah, anyway, in ways that made me throw out the book. Yeah. Should we go into cast and crew? Yeah. Let's so, do it. Wart was voiced by three different actors. I think that Wart was voiced by one actor and two benefactors of nepotism. <laughs> Is maybe Not how we wrong. should word that. So the original actor, Ricky Sorensen, went through puberty in the three years that it took to make this film. So Reitherman ended up casting his two sons to fill in the rest of the voice acting. All of them were American and didn't even come close to trying a British accent. Why were they? I did see one review that basically said that every accent in this movie was terrible and even the British didn't try very good British accents. They didn't care. But instead of using the actors in different parts of the movie, they he just like interchanged them throughout, even sometimes the same scenes. You would have the different voice acting. With the kids? Yeah. What the fuck? You can and- tell, too. I didn't notice it at first, but towards the end of the movie, there are a couple scenes where I'm like, your voice is not even like remotely the same. Like, you are no. a different child. Oh, that's yeah. crazy. I mean, of all of the ones to have that happen to... It makes sense that the 12-year-old boy has a voice change happening all over the place. Sure, that's totally fair. <laughs> I'll accept it. I'm not mad at Ricky Sorensen. I'm sure he's mad at himself. But you think I that mean, they would have like recorded all of his stuff at once? It couldn't have taken right? that long. Or do you think Whatever. they went through a lot of like script changes? If there were a bunch of script rewrites, my God, this is the best they could know. do. Whatever. Right. We'll move along. Moving on. Next one's you. The music, the songs were done by the Sherman Brothers, who were, as you mentioned, they they did the music for Mary Poppins and the Jungle Book. They were extremely prolific songwriters for Disney. They also wrote the music for Charlotte's Web, Chitty 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 Bang Bang. That's such a hard name to say for me. It is. It sure is. And they did dozens of others. They were nominated for nine Academy Awards during their career. They won two, and the the brothers are actually portrayed in the movie Saving Mr. Banks. I haven't seen that one. It's really good. So it's Emma Thompson. I got to remember her name. The woman who wrote Mary Poppins. Tom Hanks is Uh, Walt Disney. Travers. PJ Travers. Yes, that's it. Um, Tom Hanks is Walt Disney, and the brothers are played by, I don't don't remember who plays who, but they're played by Jason Schwartzman and BJ Novak. Oh. And, you know, I'm a, I have a soft spot for Jason Schwartzman. Same. So it's, I thought that was really fun when I saw that they wrote the music. I was like, yeah, I feel bad that I can only remember one of the songs. I know, but they wrote so many. They wrote so many and I can't remember most of them in this. I want to say they wrote House on Pooh Corner. Okay. No, The Wonderful Things About Tiggers. They wrote oh, the wonderful things about that's Tiggers. a good one. Mm-hmm. They're all good. good one. I love Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I, I love it. I don't think I that it, one's Disney. But I don't. Isn't it? Who? It's what? not Disney? I don't know if it is. It's definitely Dick Van Dyke. And it has the child catcher who was the haunter of dreams of kids everywhere because he's for sure a pedophile. Oh. No, it's not Disney. Palmer. It's not? No. Bedknobs and Broomsticks is though, and I love yes. that one. I've never seen that one. It's fun. Yeah, we'll we'll it's we'll fun. get there. We we'll get to all of these if we keep this shit going. <laughs> um, animation and costuming. Yeah, let's go into it. So this movie has one of our favorite openings, favorite. which is the book. The book. The book openings. I love which it. Went. I hope that they bring those back someday. They won't. I do too. But as long as they do them as well as they were done before, and they're so consistent, the animation for them is so consistently like the same. It yeah. is consistently the same. What am I saying? <laughs> 
God, I have to get out of my house. Ugh. It's it, They always look very similar. You can tell they're very distinctive. What is it? It's Sleeping Beauty. It's Cinderella. Robin Hood, Cinderella. And yeah, there's, Robin Hood wasn't as good. Like you could tell they it were trying different. to pull it back. Yeah. But it was a little bit less detailed and less interesting. And But this yeah. one is like great. perfect. It's great. Perfect. It's really beautiful. And it has that creepy like choir singing as they open. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did notice is it has some. I keep I kept watching this and being like, "Wow, yeah, you can tell that Reitherman did this and Robin Hood because it feels very similar at points." And they were ten years apart. Robin Hood was seventy three, wasn't it? Yeah, the minstrel singing songs at the beginning in Robin Hood. It's Alan Adale, the rooster, yes. singing that song in the book and going into those things and. I think even some of the animation style was very similar in this. You had those watercolor backgrounds with like sketched in details. Oh my God. I loved the watercolor backgrounds so much. For as bad as I didn't, as bad as this movie was and I didn't like it really, the animation in it is gorgeous. Yes, it is. Just like every part of it is beautiful. The backgrounds are gorgeous. The water animation is just stunning like there's you can see the light reflecting off of it and when they're fish going into the water it's beautiful and then there's the plants in the water where some of them are in the foreground and they're blurred out and you can see it it's just so so well done the color palettes are really beautiful too it's so easy with in animation to have such like to have garish colors yeah but I these feel are, like this these felt was, really rich. It was colors. rich, but it was like also subtle. It yeah, was, they were yeah. they were like almost you, jewel tones in a lot of yeah, stuff. Exactly, which turned out really beautiful earth tone, jewel tone. Yeah, I'm an animation color expert, which is why I'm so passionate about this particular topic. I'm also going to create a list of everything you claim to be an expert in someday. Oh, let's do a podcast on all the things I'm an expert in. <laughs> there, we'll hit both of the lists I'm making at once. <laughs> They came up with a new animation technique on this movie called touch-up. Previously, what the assistant animators would do is take the sketches that the directing animators made or the drawings that they made, and they would put it on like a light table and cover it with notch paper and redraw it that would then oh, get Xerox like onto the cells. Trace it? Yeah. Okay. What they did on this movie was the assistant animators did touch-ups directly onto the original sketches. Oh, So this was also something that I got from that Floyd Norman interview. And he said it was just like terrifying to do. It just struck fear into his heart because you ran the risk of screwing up these drawings. Right. You destroy the original animator's work. And then you have to go to Mitt Call and be like, I fucked up your drawing. And apparently this is a guy who liked to yell. Fuck that guy. That's crazy. Okay. So here's the thing. In Merlin's house... There is a sugar bowl that is spooning sugar into teacups, and I'm like 99% sure that it's also in Beauty and the Beast later. I would 100% believe that there was a lot of recycled animation used in this movie, and then from this movie used in other things. At least from what I could find notes on, they borrowed some of the opening backgrounds from Sleeping Beauty for like that credit, the opening credits when they're all those really cool paintings and stuff. You can see that. Some of those were borrowed straight from Sleeping Beauty. The deer Kay tries to shoot is a copy of Bambi's mother, although she fares much better than Bambi's mother. (laughs) Oh, because she gets shot and dies. Because Bambi's mother dies. Spoiler alerts. And then when Kay and Ector are fighting the dishes, it's the same choreography as a scene from 101 Dalmatians, which seems like pretty... Wait, say that part again. When... Kay and Ector are fighting the dishes. Yeah. So like when Merlin magics the dishes to themselves, it's the same choreography as a scene from 101 Dalmatians. Interesting. So when they're fighting the dishes? Uh, I can't remember what they do. I don't remember. I haven't seen that movie in so I kind of want to watch it now that you've mentioned it. Oh, it's so good. I want to, I might make Abby watch it. Can I borrow Abby so I have a child to watch these movies with so it isn't me and a 34 year old man? (laughs) I mean, he's great about it, but like, I really like, you know, a kid's insight. On the other side, parts of this movie were used in The Jungle Book, The Fox and the Hound, and The Black Cauldron, and I would not be surprised to learn that it was also Beauty and the Beast. I don't even know if it was that particular animation scene, but it was definitely the character of yeah, that sugar it, ball. it definitely felt like the sassy dishes from Yeah, Beauty exactly. And the Beast. Very Beauty and the Beast. 
The fight between Merlin and Mim is seen as some of the best character animation to date. They so go they through like a... from now or from then? Uh, probably from then. I don't know. We could say from forever. It's pretty it, good. It's pretty great. It's they go through a variety of transformations, but both manage to maintain the characteristics of their original look. Mm, that's true. There's no question as to which one is which ever. That's true. Like well, the, trans- there's also the coloring. The co- well, and that's part of it. The coloring is really well, but even that, like, it's not like it's like, oh, it's a blue crab. Like that crab looked like Merlin as a crab. Yeah, and I think that was all really well done. I wish that one of Merlin's transformations had been into the assistant animator, Sylvia, whatever her name was. (laughs) Sylvia Romer. Yeah. Why couldn't Wart be a beautiful woman? That's what I'm saying. Uh, One of the things I noticed was that Wart's face when he's a squirrel just looks like Chippendale. It's true. It looks exactly like I have so much to say about Wart being a squirrel. Oh, we're getting there. there. We're getting there. He did look a bit like Chip, Chip and or Dale. My last animation note is that Mim's house is a witch's hat. I love Madame Mim. She's great. Now we get into what is our biggest section, I think, of this entire podcast. Writing and plot points. The most recently added category, because I kept writing things and then putting them under the wrong category. Well, and it's it's a good category to have, because sometimes you have a movie where you have to be like, what? what? Why yeah. is this a thing? Or sometimes it's a good thing. Like I've had a couple of notes of good things in here. I just sent my mom a selfie and yeah. said remote podcasting. It's just, hi, beautiful. It looks like you have no shirt on. <laughs> Thanks, I'm mom. wearing two shirts. Two Get shirts, my shirt. Mom. My mom is funny. She is funny. She's also our biggest fan. Can we give a shout out to my mom? I love my mom Shout so out much. to Allie's mom. Love she you, mom. She shares every single one of our posts on Facebook. She's the best. She's so great. She's very supportive. Of all my weird dreams. We when I told her, her I wanted to um, study forensic psychology to talk to serial killer, she was like, I think that's amazing. <laughs> Thanks, mom. My mom said she would listen to this podcast, but I bet she had trouble opening the podcast up and never got around to it. So My mom figured it out. Yeah, my mom doesn't even know what podcasts are. So I tell people it's like a radio show, but on the internet. Oh, shit. I said, oh, no. I said I'm two shirts, not I'm wearing two shirts. And now she thinks I'm drunk. <laughs> You're two damn shirts. It. I'm distracted. Allie is she, two she, shirts. She said two shirts to the winds. <laughs> oh, yeah, I can't believe good. she called me out like that. Okay, not to get political. Do they talk about how long England has been kingless? Well, okay, so if Arthur or Wart is Uther's son and he's 12... Yes. Unless at least 12 years. At least 12 years. And that's if Uther knocked a chick up and like died immediately. It's good to be the king. Good to be the king. But like it's at least 12 years or at most 12 years. It can't be any longer than that. Do we think that he knocked someone up and died right away? I mean, he would have to if it was going to be like 12, 13 years long. Otherwise, it's been what, like five years? I don't know. Sugar, we're going down swinging. <laughs> So I wrote, how long has England been kingless? Is that addressed? Has How has it been functioning with no government? Apparently not too badly. Do you guys need Boris Johnson? <laughs> also, how did no one know Uther Pendragon had a son? Was he just a fuckboy who banged everything in sight? What happened to Wart's mom? These are the questions that maybe could have been answered in sequels. Maybe. Um, or Am maybe I pulling out threads? Oh. Mm. Oh, uh, hmm. that's a good point there is a book that i didn't read you could read i i guess i have less concerns about the like how did no one know that he was uther's son because i feel like illegitimate children of the king was a normal thing but then they would not be crowned king even no matter how many fucking swords there they was no out of anvils okay but when you're basing your government on who can pull a sword out of a stone i feel like you can't worry about birth lines too much it's not a basis for government It'd be a better basis than what we got going now. What are you saying? Hmm. What are you saying? Hmm. <laughs> My friend Britt just posted on Facebook that she and her husband are watching Dunstan checks in. That's how bored they are. <laughs> I like to think that this pandemic is going to bring everyone together in their love of 90s movies and music. I think it should. What choice do we have? We're literally running out of things to watch. Yeah. I have school and I'm still like, I'm bored. Yeah. I got a a test tomorrow. You think I give a shit? I don't give two shits. No shits given. Not a solid shit. 
Merlin reminds me a lot of how I imagined Dumbledore when I first read Harry Potter when I was 10. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. A little bit more frazzled. Yeah. But like kind, funny, long beard, wizard hat. It almost feels like they modeled him after that kind of idea in the movies of Harry Potter too. Like that first one for sure feels like... I gotta say, this is a side note, I never liked Richard Harris's Dumbledore. He only took it because his granddaughter wanted him to. And I respect that. That's it was legit. the first two, right? Then he died after... Yeah, he died after the second okay. one, I think. Yeah, he took the role because his granddaughter made him. Which is fair. Can't judge a man for that. She who th- Those who are against the queen must die. If I can quote 90 Day Fiancé, one of my, my favorite show of all time. <laughs> Archimedes is a familiar. Yes. It's his little animal helper. I feel like he's. Friend. I feel like he's one of the only talking, and I guess we could call them animal sidekicks. Yeah. Um, I I prefer the term familiar because I'm very witchy. I feel like he's one of the only talking ones. Every, so what like, other ones are there? Well, looking back in like the 90s, there's Flick and Miko okay, from yeah. Pocahontas. There's Pascal from Rapunzel. Yeah. There's Sven from Frozen. Yeah, there's I suppose, a, yeah, there aren't really. Um, Flounder. Oh, that's true. There's Flounder. But, that, but then, that's one. a whole different story because you have a whole like faction of characters that are just animals. But still, I think that that, that counts. Because that's I'm, like all I'm the like, Sebastian counts. and all of them talk. There's so the, co- the dog from Beauty and the Beast that is also an Ottoman. That is also a footstool. The yes. Dottoman. The Dogman. <laughs> Dogman. Yeah, no, there aren't many of them are talking. If it's not an established, I think this is what I think the difference is. If it's not established in the story that the animals talk, mm-hmm. The sidekick animal doesn't talk. Archimedes is possibly the only one. And also, I love Archimedes. He's great. He's like the sassy gay owl we all need. He's the sassy gray bear owl that we all need in life. I love it. I also keep his dude in place. It's not working. He's cranky. I I feel it. I think I have this note later, maybe, but I 100% believe that Archimedes is actually the hero of this movie. He is, like, the only voice of reason a lot of the time. He saves Wart repeatedly. He's the only one that actually teaches Wart anything. He teaches him how to fly. I don't remember that. There is some solid foreshadowing in this movie. When Wart goes to find the arrow that Kay shot, Mm -hmm. and it's stuck into a tree, and there's the the light coming down onto it, and he's reaching for it. It came on, and I just went, foreshadowing! We were totally wrong about the writing of this movie. It was very intentional. So did Merlin drug Wart's tea? Yeah. um, Because he looks like he's (laughs) super high for that entire scene. Yeah, it is very weird. He... I don't know. Maybe he's never like seen another person before. Maybe. Maybe. But also, it was like the talking owl. Maybe Archimedes was maybe throwing him for a for a loop. Maybe it was the sugar that was not commonly available in medieval times. Maybe he was on a sugar high. That's true. Imported from where probably Jamaica, the Bahamas, not the yeah. Bahamas, the Caribbean, harvested can, by slaves. Harvested by slaves. So can Merlin only do magic if it's done as a musical number? I'm willing to bet. Because that's the only time he successfully does magic without, like, having to think really hard about it. (laughs) He didn't make that connection. He keeps going on, like, well, what's the word? What's the phrase? What do I say? How do I do it? Mm. The only time he does it Maybe he's just very out of practice. Maybe. Okay, so I feel like this is a big plot point, and maybe I wasn't paying very close attention. It's a possibility. Why does Merlin keep turning Wart and himself into animals it happens a lot horrible things happen while it's going on and i feel like it's never explained i think it's supposed to teach him lessons like i think it's supposed to be his education because because Berlin's big thing is like oh you need to have an education and whatnot sure i'm not a hundred percent sure what any of it's supposed to teach him Right. I think the because like the big lesson I think that Merlin teaches Arthur is that like brains over brawn kind of thing. Yes, and actually in in the book I didn't put this in the origin story because I just thought it was weird. In the book, Wart tries to pull the sword from the anvil a couple times, and he's only able to do it when he gets encouragement from his animal friends. But I still feel like that's thin. Connor pointed this out because he was looking at the Wikipedia for the book, and he thought it was a real miss of a solid Disney moment. 
yeah, having a bunch of squirrels being like, you can do it. Like all the animals encouraging Wart would have been like peak Disney. And it would have explained all those weird scenes and it just doesn't happen in yeah. the movie. He's by himself when it happens. So I just feel like that was really super well, weird. Well, he's not by himself. Archimedes is there is like, you better put that back. Well, we okay. just leave that here. <laughs> Okay, he had one animal, but he was not encouraging him. Not at all. In any way, that's true. But I feel like it, it. they took a part of the book that was designed to... Tie it together? To tie everything together, right, exactly. And it just didn't happen, and they just kind of right. left that part out. Yeah, it was not... I didn't not like great. it. So when Merlin uses his magic to make all the dishes wash themselves... Yes. And Hector... I wrote Sir Hector, because I thought his name was Hector for a while until I... Hello, really... Hector. Hector. So Hector and Kay come in because the scullery maid is sure that Merlin is a black wizard or whatever. Dark and, and they fall in. And the only note I wrote was, this must be the first bath Kay or Sir Hector has ever had. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> for real. I mean, it was like the Dark Ages, right? It's medieval times, yeah. I didn't put this in the notes, but I wrote down in my notebook, like, why are there so many fucking dirty dishes in this castle? Right? There's like, like five whole... of them. What and are they doing? Right. There's so few of them. And if Wart is spending like three to six hours a day doing dishes, what are they doing? I know that Kay is a big guy and he needs a lot of protein. So there's probably like tons of birds and stuff. But I also, guess... I, I don't know. I didn't like I it. Uh, my other thing was why didn't Merlin just use magic to fix up the tower that's a really good question like he gets stuck in the shitty tower and it is really funny that he uses umbrellas to block up the holes this film has some funny anachronisms and I'm assuming they're all due to his ability to time travel Mm -hmm. some of them I wrote down in my notebook when were umbrellas invented definitely wasn't around this time yeah he plugs up the holes with them, but my favorite is at the very end, after he gets back from Bermuda or wherever, he's wearing chucks. He's very specifically wearing like red Converse sneakers. Oh, I miss the chucks. I love it. That's I, great. I, I love a wizard in Chuck Taylors. Um, I have a note later, but I think it's a good spot here too, is do you think that the genie coming back in Aladdin in all of his like tourist gear was a nod to this movie? I do now. Because that's, <laughs> yes. that's what I thought. It was like, oh shit, this is like almost exactly like Jeannie coming back. That's true. That's very, that's a great point. I love yeah. it. I also wrote, I know I'm repeating myself, but I was very upset about the transforming into different creatures thing. I just wrote down, why is he animals in my notebook twice? <laughs> <laughs> I got really irritated by the whatever. It's fine. Whatever. So what was the point of the wizarding duel? Because I don't feel like Madame Wim is out to get Wart specifically. She's kind of just there. Do you think that her and Merlin just every once in a while get bored and have a battle? That's a really good point. What What's like adversary was Madame Mim? Why can't I think of a better word than adversary? Conflict. Thank you. What conflict was Madame Mim presenting besides like just being another magic person? I think she. W- I think she's just legitimately there to like. She's just a swamp witch trying to live right. her best life. She's just trying to live her best life. Like I think that her and Merlin are really friends, and they just hang out every once in a while and battle each other for shits and giggles. Dude, who else are they gonna fight? There's right? like there's no one else in Forest Savage. Yeah. Mari Ness, writing for Torta.com, made the argument that there isn't really a villain in this movie. Yeah. And I have to agree with that one. There's not, like, somebody trying to thwart the path of poverty. I mean, poverty. Poverty and low birth is the real villain of this story. (laughs) But even Madame Mim isn't against Wart. Like, she... Right. She'll do something to Wart because he falls into her hut, but frankly, she doesn't give two shits about Wart. (laughs) she hears merlin she's like oh forget this kid merlin's on his way yeah and then like there's the pike and the hawk that chase him when he's animals but But they're just that's just doing what the nature of their beings yeah Yeah, right like so it's so there's not really a villain in this i like that take it's like did you watch buffy no so 
every season of Buffy, there was a big baddie. Mm-hmm. There was one big baddie. And there was, I don't remember what season. It's been so long. I think it may have been season five. The big villain that season was Buffy herself. Okay. She, she I'm going to mess this up. There was a season where she died and then they brought her back to life and she had to readjust to life on Earth after she'd been in heaven. Okay. And so the big baddie that season was like her own sense of mortality and it's a very good cerebral show. I can't believe you haven't seen it. I know. You tell me this every time we talk about it. And we have talked about it repeatedly on this podcast. And yet. And yet. But it's it's a it's a I think a good example of sometimes the worst enemy is just yourself. Right. So Wart's enemy is his own sense of self-esteem because he's of low birth. He's accepted that the most he's going to achieve in life is being Kay's squire. And he's fine with it. And that's not really a bad thing. So the villain of this movie is complacency. It's a great word for it. Yes. Which makes, if you think about it, Merlin is the hero. Because he's like, what's up, bitches? This is what a train is. I'm going to blow your mind. Merlin's also kind of a dick. He's very much a dick. (laughs) And a super fair weather friend. Like, he doesn't like what Arthur is doing, so he just fucks off to Bermuda. Yeah, that part was weird, wasn't it? It was really weird. It was, like, was weird. It was like they they they're just going, well, we can't leave Merlin here because if Merlin's here, he'll just fix tell things. Wart to be king. Yeah, and pull the sword out, so he can't be here. So we're just gonna send him to Bermuda. Yeah, but Archimedes stayed, right? Yeah, yeah, because he just fucked off and left all of his responsibilities. So this is one of my plot point issues. Yeah. And this is, you said King Pelinor was in the origin story. He's a king in the origin story, yeah. He's just one of the knights. According to Wikipedia. According to Wikipedia, truth of all things. So in this one, he's just a knight. And he's the knight that comes into the castle and is like, hey, they're doing a contest. And whoever wins gets to be king. And Ector turns and is like, well, okay, you're going to go win this tournament. And then later in the movie, when they're like getting ready and Ector is like, my son's going to be king. And Pelinor is like, what? What? Kay, what? He's like, dude, were you not there for this conversation? So Pelinor reminds me of the Duke in Cinderella. He looks like the Duke. He looks like the Duke, but he also kind of reminds me of James Charles. Hi, sisters. (laughs) Welcome to my YouTube channel. (laughs) But he mostly reminds me of the Duke. He has a lot of the physical characteristics of the Duke. And yeah, of that Duke like yeah, the big bushy mustache and everything. Yeah, and like he's like he's a very um kind of spindly and awkward. Yeah. But yeah, he definitely is kind of a weak plot point because he shows up as like I'm going to give you this information. What do you mean you're doing this with the information I gave you? Like, right, motherfucker, what? Well, and like I just he was in the room when they were talking about making K <laughs> King, and then he's like, wait, what? Hold the phone. Was, that is not what we were doing. He was looking at other stuff. One of the things that I really relate to in this movie, Ector keeps calling Merlin Marvin. I didn't even notice that. You that's didn't? Really he, keep, he calls him no, Marvin that's the really entire funny. movie. He just calls him Marvin. It's great. I relate quite a bit. My grandma didn't spell Isma. my name right till I was 19. Because your grandma's a bitch. Yeah, she's the worst. It's one L. It's one L. One L. Get it right. <laughs> So when they're in the castle with Sir Ector and Kay and whatever, and there's news that comes in, and Merlin sends Archimedes to go hear what it is, and Merlin says, well, it can't be the London Times. Their first pu- their first edition doesn't publish for 1,200 years. Okay, I did not pick up on that, so good for you. <laughs> Super accurate timelines, because the first edition of the London Times began in 1785, which puts this movie at about 500, 600, 80. Did it really? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's And that's about when most of the Arthurian legends are placed, is in that 500 to 600. Because London is so old. It's old as balls. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be the new podcast tagline. Where the people are, it's old as balls. (laughs) So the wolf that follows them from the woods, from Merlin's that hut. That poor ass wolf. That poor wolf it's is so just hungry. so hungry. He just wants a meal. He wants to hang out. And also, he comes back at the end. Was he still just following them or is he just a really unlucky wolf? Possibly one of my biggest issues with this movie is the title of this movie is The Sword and the Stone. We yeah. don't see The Sword and the Stone until like five minutes to the end of the movie. 
Um, it's also not in a stone. It's not. It's in an anvil. The sword and the anvil. The sword yeah. and the anvil. Not quite the same. Not quite the same at all. Kind of a spoiler if you think about it. I suppose, though, if you don't know the legend of Arthur and you're watching this movie, like, you have no idea what that means. You yeah, just spend, like, that's true. 95% of the movie being like, what is the sword and the stone? What does this even mean? That's true. Alright, should we get into some of the problematic issues of this movie? <sighs> okay, here I go. Here you go. I'm going to unpack the squirrel issue. In the movie, during one of the I'm going to turn wart into various animals, I think the first one, wasn't it? Shit, I don't know. Or first or second, Merlin turns wart into a squirrel. Yes. This seems Chip like... Chip and Ordale. Right, Chip and Ordale. It seems like a pretty innocuous action it sure except starts that way it takes a real hard left turn a hard so, left it is one of the worst things i have ever seen in my life and this is why it legitimately upsets me how <laughs> terrible <laughs> this this fucking squirrel scene is wart is a squirrel for whatever reason a female squirrel takes an interest she's like hey what's up Hey, boy. Slide your DMs or whatever. So that's weird. It's definitely weird. But then it gets a thousand times fucking weirder where Girl Squirrel keeps like physically assaulting him, like straight up rubbing up against him, grabbing hands, da da da. And he the whole time is like, I'm not interested. Get away from me. I don't want this, da da da. He's explicitly rejecting her. It is very explicit. He's like, I'm not into this. There is no consent happening there. There's no consent. And Merlin, who is also a squirrel, sings a fucking song about how resisting her is pointless. She's going to get what she wants in the end. It's like there you just you have to just bend to whatever your woman wants. He is saying, "Boy, bend over and think of England." It's yep. so it's a pro rape song and Absolutely. it bothered me so much. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's horrible. This bitch will not take a hint. He's saying, "No, girl, I don't want to fuck." Also, he's 12. He also, is 12 he's 12. Years 12. Old. My note, he's 12. A couple down below yours just just no means no, girl squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> I think I texted you my note that was girl squirrel wants to fuck. Yeah. Also, Merlin makes the claim that squirrels mate for life. Right, yeah. They they don't. They absolutely no, don't. They mate wrong. twice a year and they will bump uglies which with ev- whichever squirrel is closest to them. They, they do care. not care. So, I wrote Oh, hold on. I've got one more thing on the squirrel thing. Not that the girl squirrel is right, but Merlin is still a dick because he says a girl squirrel and a redhead at that. As a fake redhead and a squirrel. I take great offense to that. <laughs> I wrote I wrote just a big long run on sentence. Girl squirrel keeps physically assaulting wart squirrel when he expl- is explicitly rejecting her and then Merlin sings a fucking song about how it's pointless to resist her rape advances. What the hell is this nonsense? And one of the animators of the film, Frank Thomas, loved the squirrel sequence so much they played it at his funeral. What the fuck i don't know what like, was your weird problem dude of all of the things, not to speak ill of the dead but no you speak were Ill. a weirdo like of all of the things to play at your funeral that is such a weird choice you want to see these squirrels try to fuck <laughs> i got it i got you let's show it as my he's memorial. not into it but she's very insistent very this was my biggest issue of the movie was the squirrel scene it really bothered me it was pretty bad. So my favorite thing to do when we record this podcast is to find the weirdest source of information that I can. Sure. A doctor wrote a letter to the editor of the American Journal of Infection Control about this film, stating that based on the symptoms reported by Madame Mim, we hypothesized that she could be affected by a disease like measles. He goes on to discuss how measles was a very relevant thing in the U.S. at the time. Between 1956 and 1960, there were 542,000 cases of measles, with one death per 1,000 cases. This feels way too real for our current time, so we're moving on. So one of my things that I have on this problematic stuff is when Merlin turns Wart into a bird mm-hmm. and they're trying to teach him to fly and Merlin acts because like he wrote or read a lot of books. He knows how to teach Wart to be a bird and there's Archimedes <laughs> right there, an actual right. bird. <laughs> right. 
Oh, and then our our favorite problematic topic. Mm. The fat, fat ugly character. Although I think this one turns it on its head a little bit. Do you think so? I think so, because Madame Mim has that scene where she's transforming herself. She makes herself her beautiful version or whatever. Into Sylvia. Into Sylvia. and But she says beauty is only skin deep and transforms herself back. She is choosing this image that we see of this yeah. stout, ugly witch yeah. character. So I think that's kind of turning on a head. She's like, I could be this beautiful Sylvia character, but fuck that. This is who I am and who I want to be. What are you going to say about it? Which, unfortunately, is not something we can say of a lot of the movies, but there we have it. Also, any. when she's the version of herself that is Sylvia, their tits are really weird. Yeah. They're, like, pointing out in different directions. and Well, it's also the, so the waist is tiny. Yeah. And then the, like, rib cage goes out, and then you have the weird, like, pointy boobs. Do you know what she looks like? Hmm. Did you ever read The Witches by Roald Dahl? Yeah. She looks like one of the witches. In her beauty form? Yeah. Does she? Yeah. She's got like that okay. long, tall, spindly kind of thing and very pointy oh, yeah, features. Yeah. And yeah. She looks like a witch. But she is a witch. So so Wart pulls the sword out of the stone yes. again because nobody believes him. The anvil. Wart pulls the sword out of the anvil again because <laughs> nobody believes him. Right. And then everyone's like, well, fuck, I guess you're our king now. And Ector is like, oh, I'm so sorry for how I've treated you. Like, shouldn't you have been sorry without him becoming king? No, because he's a capitalist, Jesse. Oh, he yeah. Give a shit. He gives no shit. Suddenly his income is threatened. Oh, maybe this guy won't let me have, like, take these tax breaks I've been enjoying. Well, we haven't had a king for 13 years. Okay, so we need to talk about how the whole of England crowns a 12-year-old boy, and then they just leave him alone in the castle. Like, this kid is sitting in a throne with a robe that's too big and a crown that doesn't fit, and no one else is in there. It's a very sad scene. (laughs) The whole end of the movie feels just sad. I think that's part of why I didn't like this movie, because, like, you get to the end, and it's like, this poor kid knows nothing Right. Has nothing and no one. Oh, look, Merlin shows up again from Bermuda, but like, God, this poor kid. The throne room um, rem- reminded me of a kind of sparsely decorated Sultan from Aladdin throne room a little bit. Huh. I didn't see that, but okay. Spitting game here. Who knows? My last problematic thing is just semantic y, basically. They say Gadzooks at some point. Love it. Who says that? I think it was Ector. Hmm. Maybe like when he pulls the sword from the stone, he's like, Gadzooks. It's not a term that is found until the 1600s. So it's about, you know, a thousand years later. Was it seriously found in the 1600s? Well, that's, I, I, I feel like the, that's a 1920s term. I know, right? No, it was found in the 1600s. And it's crazy. a shortening of by God's hooks, referencing, as always, Jesus on the cross. Because everything sounds Jesus sounds as Christ wounds. Yeah. So Gadzooks is that makes sense. Wow. God, get a new interest, idiot. <laughs> Find something else besides Christianity. <laughs> Anything else on social commentary, problematic stuff? There's not a lot that happens, so it's hard to have a lot to talk about. Except for that squirrel scene. Also, it's furries probably the came squirrel out of this again. Rape scene. Huh? There were definitely furries that came from this movie again. Disney creating yeah, furries. Yeah, because we didn't even, we didn't even talk about how Merlin has an admirer as oh, a squirrel. Yeah. Also, that's another problem. So the whole time Wart is being squirrel assaulted, Merlin's like, "Oh, this is just how things are. You know, women won't stop until they get what they want." But then the then, second, hey, but she's also a fat squirrel. Solid point. I feel like this might be, again, a little too SJW, but she's a fat squirrel. And Maroon's like, ew, get away from me. Get away from me. Oh, this is terrible. Like, oh, yeah. I'm like a fat squirrel assaulting you for you to be like, mm, not cool. <laughs> Merlin is the real villain of this piece. Merlin is the villain. He does basically come in and ruin Wart's life. He does. Hot take. Merlin is the villain. Wart was okay being K-Squire. That's all Wart wanted. He wanted to be K-Squire. He was yeah. ready for it and excited. He didn't want to be a king. Who wants to be king? Who wants? Nobody wants to be king. No one wants that. What is the the head that holds the crown is heavy or some shit? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. That's exactly right. I have no and idea Wart's, what that's from or why I know that Wart's quote. And Wart's so skinny that his little neck's going to He's got neck's no neck to support it. I feel like there's way more Disney physics things to talk about, but the only two that I wrote down were about K. 
So when they go in to fight the dishes, when Merlin magic them to do themselves, right? Kay and Ector are fighting the dishes with swords, and the sword breaks. So was it a shitty sword or like... adamantium dishes? <laughs> adamantium <laughs> dishes. They figured it out well before Wolverine's life. Unbreakable. And then my other thing is when they're practicing jousting, Kay gets bounced out of his horse and goes just fucking flying over the castle. I love castle. it. I love it when people get knocked off horse and they go like on their butt, bounce, 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 because that's <laughs> yeah. what happens. And you don't fucking break your tailbone. Right? I feel like anything else that was like ridiculous physics stuff, though, could be explained away by magic. So it's... Exactly. Yeah. The Disney was pretty slim in this one. Yeah. So in Disneyland, they have mm-hmm. an anvil with the sword in it. And they yes. used to do a thing where people, like someone would get chosen to pull the sword out of the stone. And I don't think they've done it in quite a while. I think it was kind of just sitting off being there and looking like a piece of scenery more than anything. Right. So in January of this year, there was a guy named Sam who was in Disneyland for the first time. He's this big, buff, burly dude, apparently. And his friend told him that if he could pull the sword out, he'd get a prize. And Sam went over and pulled the sword out of the stone. Sam. He broke the sword out of the stone. Literally, it broke. Oh, no. His friend was lying? Uh, yeah, right? Oh, no. <laughs> this was not like a setup thing. This was not like a, oh, we'll turn it. Because I think how it's done is like with magnets or something. So like when they release it, the sword can pull out. And when they it's off, it doesn't pull out. It, But it's yeah. been sitting for so long. It was so old. The sword broke. But this big burly dude went and pulled it out. So, you know, all hail the new king of Disneyland, Sam. They did fix it and they put it back together. But this guy just went out and did it. We stand a king. We stand a king. King Sam. King Sam. Ruler of Disneyland. 20 pounds the one the true king. ruler of Disneyland. I'm down. Be careful. A squirrel's going to fuck you. <laughs> what? <laughs> said, be careful. A squirrel's going to try to fuck you. Adaptations. So there's the characters from this got used quite a bit. Apparently, Madame Mim is used in a bunch of like little Disney short things and like the cartoons on the Disney network that they did. And I stuff. bet that at least a couple characters appear in Kingdom Hearts. Yep. Absolutely. And Once Upon a Time. Yes, I think it's actually both of those. Which, for a huge Disney fan, I could never finish. I we tr- we I watched the this. first season and exactly. After and I, I, I honestly hated every part of it. It wasn't. I got to the part where Rasputin was the beast and the chick from Lost was Beauty, and then I was just like, I'm out. I'm checking out. And this is like it. That show's been on for a long time. Is it still on? Yes. Damn. Elsa's on it. Anna's on it. Like now, it just feels like a cash grab. It is for sure. I but I remember watching it and being really angry about the whole first season. Yeah, it was not good. Cause it's yeah, it was not good. It's something that like I feel like I would in theory I would love. I should have loved it, but I just couldn't get into it. Maybe I'll try it again at a later date. Maybe. We'll see. And the guy who plays Rasputin is Robert Carlyle from The Full Monty. Oh. A movie that is 23 years old at this point. But I love that movie and I love him. There is a live action remake that is in theory possibly already filmed. It's hard to find a lot. I'm into it. I'll watch it. I'm 100% in. I had a hard time finding a lot of information about it. The director for it is Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, director of 28 Weeks Later, and written by Brian Cogman, who was a former writer and producer of Game of Thrones. So look forward to the gritty reboot on Disney Plus in 2021. I'm here for it. I'll 100% watch it. Who do they make the villain, you think? Do you think Mim gets expanded? I would kind of like Mim to be expanded. She's legit. Or, I would love Or K. K could easily be a villain because he is a big dick in the beginning. That's true. But he mostly seems like he's like the jockhead dick who is only a dick because right. it gets in the way of his workout. I know how that guy goes. <laughs> I would say if they could pick a character or two in this to become a villain, Mim is a really good option. Who do you think they're going to cast? And do you think they're going to cast someone who is actually not attractive? Oh, my God. Okay. Any character under the age of 20, I think they're going to cast Finn Wolfhard. Of course they are. I, I feel just, like I'm used to that. Yeah. For Merlin, I'd love to see a Patrick Stewart. Oh, shit. That'd be great. That's, I think, maybe reaching a little bit. but Or even like a Jason Isaacs. I'd be happy with that. I feel like Jason Isaacs would be a little too serious. He's too young. A little oh, serious, a little, a little young. too serious, yeah. Mim, Emma Melissa Thompson. McCarthy. 
Oh my gosh, she'd be great. Yeah, that's a good one. Melissa, Melissa McCarthy, McCarthy would be, would be a great mem. She'd be a great mem. I'm afraid they would cast like Helena Bonham Carter. Of course they will. She always and I hate always her. She ruins Sweeney Todd. Anything else? I think that the legend of King Arthur is a really interesting story that warrants some investigation. And I am going to read my copy of The Death of King Arthur that I've had for years. (laughs) It's a really interesting, if you're at all interested in like Anglo-Saxon history, maybe that isn't even the right term since he's supposed to be Welsh. If you're interested in Anglo-Saxon history and you aren't hung up on semantics, definitely look into the history of King Arthur and Merlin. Don't use this movie as a source of reference, And do not read The Mist of Avalon. Don't do that. But definitely watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Legit. We are so off the rails on this podcast today. Just like the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Legit. What do you rate this movie? I'm going to give this movie... Two and a half out of five Archimedes. Well, that's actually higher than I thought you would. It's not bad. I mean, you know, because of Archimedes. I am going to give it two out of six rapist squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) I hate her so much. Pretty bad. And then like, they still managed to play her off as a sympathetic character. Like she's so crying. the reason I looked this up, the reason that they expand the character, the character was because the animator heard, I guess, the voice actress and her, quote, sympathetic chittering. Dang. Well, overall, don't rape squirrels. Don't rape squirrels. No means no. There are better Arthur stories that you could watch. Wear a mask. Stay home. If you're at a grocery store, buy everything you touch, please. God, seriously, right? I work in a co-op. I'm about to tear my goddamn hair out. Y'all suck. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our episode about the sword and the stone. If we wildly fuck something up, please let us know. If you just disagree with us, I guess you can let us know that too. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WTPAPod. If you have quarantine tips, feel free to share them. I mean, we could all use them these days. Yes, what are your favorite things to do or recipes to make or podcasts listen to? Have you started or... a sourdough bread like everyone else? Apparently that is a thing right now. I have looked into a gluten-free sourdough bread, not going to lie. Sure. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe and stay safe. Actually, you know what? You can't do that because we're recording right now. And if you fuck up my recording, I will murder you. Connor, isn't she so mean all the time? Allie says I'm the nicest girlfriend ever. That's and not, what, so I said. That's not what I said. That's not what I said. What a liar. <laughs> <laughs>